because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach, I really appreciate your support and sharing of the podcast. I'm excited to announce a new partnership that we have started and we are now presented by and supported by the outstanding team at risingcoaches.com. Aligning with a basketball brand like Rising Coaches has always been a goal of mine since starting the basketball podcast, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that has come our way. Rising Coaches provides access to the largest coaching tree in basketball. Through them, you can develop your craft as a coach, connect with other coaches and decision makers, be the first to learn about countless job opportunities on the exclusive Rising Coaches member site. Go to risingcoaches.com today to find out more and become a member. Excited to welcome Fair State Head Coach Andy Brockema to the podcast. Coach Brockema has had incredible success at Ferris, including winning the 2018 NCAA Division II National Championship, three GLIAC regular season titles, four GLIAC tournament titles, as well as being named the 2018 NABC Division II National Coach of the Year and a two-time GLIAC Coach of the Year as well. Coach Brockema has won over 75% of his games at Ferris State, and we look forward to learning from him today. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, we got to know each other a little bit. We got to play against each other in my time in Windsor, and uh, incredible. I followed your success and uh, winning a national championship and tons of uh, GLIAC championships and everything else. And uh, I know you're not coaching at the perfect school either, but you're doing a great job. Can you talk a little bit about why some of this success has happened at Ferris State? Yeah, for, first of all, just... You know, my story, how I got the job is is remarkable. So I don't forget that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to be the coach here. And it's a great community. My, my parents actually lived in married housing here at Ferris State um, back in the day. So it, it's a local school for me for where I grew up and um, kind of up and down this 131 uh, highway here. You know, that's where my family's at. So that's what makes it special to me. In a lot of ways, it's a great community to raise family in. I got three daughters, and uh, we're happy about that. But as far as basketball goes, you know, there there is a rich tradition here um, of, of winning. And there's something about Big Rapids, and you can't always just – it's a it's a beautiful chaos. You can't always put your finger on it, what, what makes it great. And uh, myself and the coaches here, but especially Tony and East, our football coach, we talk about that beautiful chaos a lot. And uh, – so you can win here. The, the university is a is a fun place to become educated. It's a college town. We have a lot of good degrees, and, and we have a history of, of diversity here. So there's comfortable for a lot of people to come here and you know mature and grow. So that helps us out a lot. And then athletically, you know we're we're in a good league. So if if you're not ready to compete. Uh, in the Midwest and in the GLIAC, you know, you're going to lose and we, nobody likes losing. So you, you really just find new ways to to get things because we, we don't have the facilities here. We're below average on the facility level. And uh, any given day in our gym, we have soccer, we have, um, you know, softball clinics, football workouts, the floor gets dusty. You know, it takes 
it, it takes a good cleaning every night just to get it back to, to where we want it for the next day. But, you know, you, you find new ways, you fundraise, um, you get community involved and excited about what you're doing and you recruit towards um, that Ferris State type of person. And that's blue collar, that's chip on your shoulder. And it's really somebody that wants to develop. And, uh, you know, we, we're getting a lot of no's in recruitment. Um, but the yeses we get are real good fits. And uh, it's it's taken us to a lot of winning the, those players that we've gotten. We've got some real special players, and that's that's what's made it work. Well, you sold me. I'm coming, and uh, let's win some more. Uh, I, I love also uh, the the simple identity is something that you've explained. I've seen you explain this before, and that's rebound, run, and pass. Can you can you highlight that for us? Yeah, I just think it's real important not to get bogged down and tr- trying to be great at everything. There's so many worthy causes. Um, and you know, you have to have your why in life, but you have to have your, your why in basketball too. You have to kind of know your identity and we just wanted to make it as simple as possible. And, uh, everybody gets the the ball has magical powers, right? When you touch that ball, you play harder and injuries go away. And it's, it's funny. We've all seen the guy fall down and limp, right? But as soon as the ball hits him in the hands, he's, he's ready to go again. And so that's where the passing comes from. You know, you want to, you want to touch the ball and if you can pass it around, um, you really get a lot of effort from a lot of different people sharing the ball. So we're, tr- we're trying to get, you know, up to five guys in double figures um, during the games it can be different five. And usually one of those five is really rolling. So he, he's around 20. That's a pretty good formula when it comes to rebounding, you know, that that's just something that we try to do. Um, it gets you extra shots. It's, it's, it's a pretty basic part of basketball, but you, you can't be good at it if you just talk about it. You have to really drill it and, and you know, you have to spend practice time doing it. And we devote percentages of our practice time and our practice plan to each one of these things based on how we value them. And it's running the court, same thing. You know, we we want to play fast. I, I don't know if we've been able to get the, the best five guys in the league since I've been here, but maybe the best 10 a lot of times. So that depth is something that we're playing into the development. And that's kind of how we've done it here at at Ferris. And those core values, they reflect me, Um, maybe how I play, maybe how I want to play or how I dream about playing. So I'm really into them. So it's easy for me to sell, recruit towards those things and, uh, you know, practice those things in practice. So we're, we're all about the, those three things. Well, it's 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 great to be able to highlight, obviously, the success at a school that I'm I'm going to guess that most coaches that listen to this podcast maybe have not heard of or don't know much about. So the other part that goes with this and maybe some advice to coaches that are listening about winning with imperfect rosters, because that's one of the challenges as you go down in levels or lower level schools is that you don't necessarily get the perfect player for your roster, but you can obviously shape your philosophy according to the players that you have can you talk a little bit about that yeah we've tried to build the roster with essentially uh and i don't even like starters i mean i actually am very against starters it it drives me nuts but kind of a a veteran you know a backup and then a and then a future guy a red shirt so in perfect world you got 15 guys three at each position you you know you got somebody that's experienced and you and you have a gap class in between and you got somebody that's backing them up and apprentice and then you got a gap in between you got somebody waiting in the wings and you're training them all the, the, the whole time and as far as imperfect rosters you just got to ignore it you, you you 
you go with it, man. You just put them in the game and you let them fight through those mistakes. You know, you convince them they're better than they are until they are pretty good. And then you sit back and, you know, you get that delayed gratification. So, wow, these players are pretty good. And you start to, you start that cycle and you got guys that are, that are ready. And, um, you know, it's happened over the years with injuries or with, with, you know, people leaving for whatever reason. And the next man up philosophy, I mean, they get, the guys are ready. They've proven it. So, um, we, we commit to it. We commit to playing these guys each game, playing through mistakes. And, you know, it, it's hard at times. And we, we play with depth. We play with pace because of that depth. Um, but sometimes you turn it over. Sometimes you're playing a guy, you know, our, our, we had a national player of the year play, play 28 minutes a game or just, just under, which, I mean, that, that's, that's crazy to some, but to us, it's what we wanted to do to try to try to stay good here. We also wanted to try to avoid, and you never can totally, but just that pattern of you're good every three or four years, right? You know, we, we wanted some sort of sustainable or at least pretend we could sustain it, you know, next man up and, and be good each year. So that's part of the reasons um, we do the things we do with those imperfect rosters and, you know, you can offer full rise of division two, you know, so you can get some really good players, but you're also not getting first pick. So you're talking about you're getting an athlete that lacks a little skill or you're getting a skilled player that lacks a little athleticism. You really have to see an avenue to build one of those areas in, in those recruits and train them. And you can't just get rid of them and get the next guy because the next guy has to be trained too. So there's in division two, there's more of an emphasis on player development than pro- probably any other level. And because uh, you just can't reset the roster, you got to, you got to invest in them. Well, you've done a great job doing that. And uh, as we know, sometimes those imperfect players become perfect for your system. And it's amazing. Like, again, for example, I coached a 5'8 player who ended up leading our team in rebounding. And you never would have seen that probably at another place to a certain extent. And you find those kind of hidden players all the time, don't you? You, you, you do. You know, you know, Zach Hankins was a $3,000 scholarship. You know, he was injured his senior year. He had a lot of potential. Um, and he blossomed into the National Player of the Year, two-time first-team All-American. And... Uh, you know, it's funny when we were playing you that year, um, he, he had a terrible game. And one of uh, one of our buddies was at the game, coaching buddies. And uh, he, he said, well, why did you play the project big so much? <laughs> I said, man, he's the player. He could be a player of the year in the conference again. And it was it was funny, though, it, and it motivated him. So, um, you know, we don't put that loss on our 38 and one. We, we keep it off, you know, so <laughs> but that, that was a good game. Was that the rebounding guard, too, that we played against that yeah, year? Unbelievable yeah. player, man. He, he was. He, his name came up a few more times over the years. Yeah, he yeah, was great. For sure. yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, a lot of fun. And uh, well, we're happy to contribute to that great year you had. You mentioned uh, simple identity. Uh, simple motion is also what you talked about. Can you give us an idea of kind of the template for your simple motion offense? Yes, four, four out, one in. Um, you know, sometimes we've had the spacing high, you know, free throw line extended and, and then the slots, NBA uh, lane line extended. Sometimes we've put them into the corners. Um, sometimes we've had five out, depending on our, our back to the basket player. Uh, we've had some shooting bigs, but but basically, after we run our fast break, we have some sort of secondary or some sort of way to go from you know fifth gear to third gear, we call it, and we move spontaneously. 
and we have a lot of conversations with our players about what we think their strengths are. And, you know, we, we come to agreements, you know, we, we prove it to them or they just agree, or if they want to expand in certain areas, we have, you know, we have some shooting measures that they want to shoot, you know, they have to hit certain goals and so on and so forth, but they get to play within this spacing and within this structure. And, uh, you know, if you pass, we want you to cut or screen. We have some cuts that we, we work through. We have some screens we work through, and you could do that off the ball too. But it's a lot of communication, and the chemistry grows as as you work together. So, um, you know, we let the players play in, in that half-court offense, and we focus on spacing, and we focus on action. There are, there are always a few what we call triggers. So if you go in the post, that triggers certain actions. You know, if you drive it, triggers certain actions. Um and just like the regular basketball, right? You know, you don't want to just stand and watch. Um, you know, you, you want to move on penetration. You want to move on post feeds. You, you want to do those things. So um, if guards are holding post, you know, there's certain action to get to get out of that and get back into the four out one end. So we've had multiple triggers over the years um, and multiple entries into our simple offense. So sometimes you get your offense isn't flowing real well or you haven't seen a flare or a, you know, double to a flare or a tight curl in a while, you can just make those over the years, we've made them into entries. So if we're not getting certain flow or certain action, then we'll call out an entry and that'll get us into the spontaneous flow. So we've done that too. Just kind of depends on the team. You know, right, right now we're pretty good this year's team, just getting out of the fast break right into flow and guys know who they are and pretty happy with that. So the spacing template template is a four out one in generally, and then yeah. are, you're trying to play with a static post, or is that post able to move quite a bit? The the post should be static if 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 we have a good back to the basket, you know, post. We we like that. We like to pound it into them, but that's not always been the case. We've had like said years where we've taken our posts and put them on the perimeter, and, and went five out because that was best for us. Or you know, years where we don't even try to throw it as much to the post. He stays opposite a lot. And, and moves on penetration, shakes up, goes under, or gets drop-off passes, weak side rebounding, that, that sort of thing. But we, we like we like them on the just above the block. We call it prime time. We're trying to throw it to them there, and we want we want teams to have to defend that. And you know, back to the basket's pretty ancient, I think. Um, hopefully, it's like my, my daughters are wearing like bell bottoms, basically flared out pants again, so they're coming back. Maybe the post comes back, but uh, we're, we're good right now. We're, we're getting the back to basket players. There's enough of them out there and not enough people do it. So we recruit them, show them the film, how we pass it to the post players and what we can do with them and how we've developed them. And so we're getting some good post players that way. Well, and imagine that your players really value the fact that this simple identity of rebound run and pass really goes nicely with this simple motion. And in the sense that I know you want to play fast and you've had great success as a transition team. And it must empower your players knowing that they can flow into some freedom as well. They, they do like it. And, um, you know, I'm all about empowering the players. And, and it just it makes them play harder when they have a little choice, a little ownership, a little freedom. And, uh, you know, I, honestly, I, th- I think it's harder to guard than, than patterns. We, we have some continuities. We have some patterns that, that we can go to because we don't, we don't set a lot of ball screens if you can believe that, in, in, in our uh, motion. Um, we set ball screens in, in our sets, which we don't have a lot of sets. Um, but in, in some of our continuities, we set some ball screens if we want to get to ball screen stuff. 
but there's just, you know, MBA, high level college, it's a lot of ball screen and we don't do as much of that. So it's like, we're a little, we're a little different to prepare for perhaps, but uh, they enjoy the freedom, but it's a control of freedom because we're really spending a lot of time, you know, convincing, but teaching them, you know, where their skill sets are at or how they can make their team better or how they fit into to the motion. Because every action within the motion is simple, but if you combine them all together, it's it's pretty complex. So our new players come in and they're lost. They're just drowned in choices, right? Well, I've always been told what to do. You know, now I have all these choices and they just kind of freeze. So we might just say, hey, let's screen away every time, you know, for the first couple of weeks or, hey, try to face cut every time. And then they start adding things to their game. Next thing you know, they're very versatile. You know, they're, you know, they're really playing off each other and they don't know how to get to their open spots and, and it, it clicks, but they, they drown at first for sure. Well, it's so, some really interesting things to bring out there. That concept I call limiting their buffet. It's like they're not allowed to eat the full buffet when they first yeah. get there until they figure it out, right? And they might only have salad, you know, but that helps them. And that's, that's an important part of the teaching process is that you gradually provide them more opportunities within their development. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I, I like that. I'm going to steal that from it. <laughs> you can have it. And, uh, you know, the, the other part you talked about, which I want to circle back to, is you mentioned the percentages in practice. Can you give us a breakdown of the percentages that you spend on different things within your practice? Yeah, I got practice plan right here. Um, you know, we first of all, we go we go pretty short um, and in season. And I, I do that because I want them to have extra energy for extras, Um you know, energy for extras at, before and after practice. You know, I want them to to stay, and uh, I don't want to grind them down. So, a lot of times, the day before the game, we'll go for an hour, and it's twenty minutes of warm up, and it's forty minutes of, of sweating and getting it going. But fifteen percent of our practice is, is skill. You know, it's big player development in, in Division Two. We we have to devote that time to just pivots, ball handling, just fundamentals, um, just. You know, everyday skill work, reading ball screens, different actions off of ball screens, s- skill. Because in, in, in Division two, you just really don't have the luxury just to re- replace a guy. You know, you have to build them up. That, that's our philosophy. But 15% of our practice is that. 10% is rebounding, just because it's one of our core things that we want to be good at. Can't be good at everything. So um, we try to rebound 10% of the practice. Got a bunch of different rebounding drills, um, you know, towards – middle end of the season we keep repeating the same ones because they're our favorites but and probably most valuable and then we break down 35 percent of our practice to the offense and defense and then on the defensive side you know we're doing a lot of closeout drills and we we work uh, a lot of what i would say defensive wheel you know if if every spoke on the wheel is a different action you have to defend we incorporate that into our closeout drill also at at the end of our closeout drill so we'll we'll do that and we'll do a pressing um, segment in our defense and we'll do team defense. So those three headings are always in our 35% and we'll just pick a drill in each heading. Um, and then offensively, same thing, three headings. We, we have breakdown drills, like small games, three and three ball speeds, you know, um, two on two with a coach cutting and passing those, those type of deals, um, maybe five on all sets. And then we have our fast break heading. So we're trying to get up and down. Uh, whether we're working on, um, you know, advantage break or just our secondary break. And then then five on five, um, you know, we're, we're working, you know, five on five scenarios. And then at the end of the practice, we've got 5% um, for 
special situations, special teams, you know, after timeouts, short clocks, need a three, need a two, foul or defend, you know, free throw miss, uh, free throw box out, all those sort of things, which we try to get those in so we have a number of reps, for, you know, as we move forward. And, and a huge part of your identity as well is pressing. And uh, you've had great success pressing. And, uh, you know, uh, cu- curious, maybe just quick outline of the different types of presses you use. And then we'll get into some of the phrasing and terminology, because I think that's what's real valuable is some of the ideas that you share around that. Yeah, I, I guess the best way is to describe it, our pressing is we, we junk it up a little bit. You know, we, we throw a lot of variations and a lot of, a lot of stuff at people. And we, we press because the shot clock, you know, you, you have to defend less actions in the half court. Um, you know, we don't always get a lot of steals out of it. You know, we that's not one of our main emphasis. Maybe deflections on the ball, steals off the ball is what, is what we do say. But um, teams get pretty good at breaking the press. Um, I, I think it can wear, wear teams down, um, you know, that might not have as much depth. And, you know, we, we're playing 10, sometimes 11 guys. So that's part of the pressing philosophy. Um, we have, we press man to man. You know, we have the traditional diamond press. We have some three quarter court presses, and you know, we just try to switch it up. And uh, you know, usually about halftime, we we kind of know which which ones you know, blood in the water, uh, which ones we want. So some teams we we sprint back. Some teams we get in the presses and we don't trap. You know, it's smoke and mirrors. Um, so. We have some stuff we like out of dead balls better. That's easy to set up, and you know maybe we want to take the inbounder off and play in the center field and face guard. You know, so we have a lot of different variations, and um, we kind of work that out. We call it reaction press. Once we have everything installed, you know, in the preseason, um, we, we just get everybody in the lane, and uh, I call out black or red. There's two out of two jersey colors, and I call out the press, and we react into it. So I'll I'll put in a layup. And call out black and you know I'll call out you know the diamond press um and we'll react into it and we'll play up and down and then you know I'll do it again and again we'll play with certain scores so that's one of our pressing drills but we break it all down too all a lot of presses have the same elements right so coffin corners are, are a big deal you know just trapping that, that initial pass um shaving it to the short side um just back tips we got a lot of back tip drills um you know yeah. one of our big things too is just to get into our shell defense afterwards. You know, we, we want to stop the scramble at some point in time. We call that fortify. So, you know, we're, we're trying to stay fortified and we're trying to echo that so people know, hey, it's it's time, you know, take the drawbridge up and get in the fortress. So we try to do that too. But we, we drill it up and we spend time every practice. We preseason and before games when we practice longer, you know, we have 15-minute segments you know, for, for each one of our presses, our man-to-man, our diamond, and, and our uh, three-quarter court. So we just have build-ups and just spend time doing it. I wanted to take a brief pause from the podcast today to tell you about the pick-and-roll offense course on basketballimmersion.com. An NCAA Division One coach texted me last week telling me that he joined basketballimmersion.com and took his first course. He told me, and I quote, The pick-and-roll offense course was tremendous. So many creative ways to categorize pick-and-roll concepts and make the teachings better. I cannot wait to watch more videos and complete more courses. Your learning will never stop as a member of basketballimmersion.com, as there are 25 courses with more coming each week, over 600 videos, and now over 70 master classes on special topics and so much more. Get one-stop shopping to stimulate your coaching. 
get access at basketballimmersion.com and support not only your coaching, but this podcast as well. Thank you for being part of this community. It's great. So I love the term uh, fortify. And uh, that's one of the terms that I, I definitely got from your notes. And then the other one that I like is heated up. Can you talk about heated up? I don't think any of the presses work unless you heat the ball up, you know, so it, you got to get them going fast. And uh, if you just, if you're just standing there, the players are too good. There's too many openings. The court's too big. They're just going to pass fake or find an opening and, and slice you apart. So you, you got to heat the ball up. You got to put pressure on the ball and make that ball handler, you know, feel it a little bit. So we're trying to heat them up. That's when I, when I say that, now guys know that, you know, and a lot of times you, you can't be wrong. You know, if, if the ball handler goes middle, you know, we're programmed for it. They go sideline, we're programmed for it. You know, if, it, it's when you're wrong is when you don't heat them up. So. Well, that's what I was going to ask you with this, this, you called it junk it up, but it's also a little bit of a read and react in terms of your press is that when you, do, you can set the alignment initially or the scout initially that you want to take away. But beyond that, it comes back to defensive decision-making and players reading what another player does. So can you talk a little bit about that component and then how you develop it within your pressure? Well, yeah, the decision-making comes with reps. So we try to, all the drills that we've built in these sequences, you know, we, we try to get the most cookie cutter situations that happen the most. And we put them in that situation time and time again. So they get, you know, used to, playing in between two and anticipating where the guy's going to throw it out of the trap, you know, by, by where his body's position, you know, and his eyes, if he's looking one way, he's probably going to throw that way. Right. Or, you know, he'd have to pivot all the way around to throw it to the other guy. So we, we get used to that, try to anticipate. And, um, you know, if a guy splits a trap, you know, that's a great, great back tip opportunity. Um, one guy chasing on both sides, you know, we do drills like that too. Um, so, we, we, we try to drill out the situations that happen the most, but then we, we also know that if the press gets broke and we fortify, there's probably 20 seconds on the shot clock and we have to defend two less positions, you know, a lot, one less ball screen or one less stagger or something. So we also know we've won that way. And uh, so all is not lost if they just shred through the press, you know, a little easier and we don't get some sort of steal or something. So that, that's kind of how we break it down. That's our thought process. Um, so today's a game day, for example, so going into a game day, let's, let's talk a little bit about that with the press. What are you doing to prepare your team to play against a specific opponent? What are some of the things that you're doing? It depends on the personnel. I mean, it, it, it really does. It depends on their style. We have teams that execute like crazy in the half court. Right. And, and so we might be more aggressive on them because they don't necessarily want to break the press for scores because they're so efficient in the half court. Why would they, you know, other, other teams are going to break it for scores and throw the long diagonal pass or throw the pass over top and shoot it quick. So maybe it's, um, you know, stunting, you know, one step at the ball, two steps back and we're, we're in a no trap situation or, or maybe they have a dominant guard that wants to, initiate off early offense so we'll we'll special them we'll put two two guys on them one off the inbounder and we'll make somebody else dribble it up or maybe we think their foreman is an average ball handler compared to our foreman you know doing a z drill on them in full court so we'll trap right away they'll throw it back to the foreman and, and we'll try to have them initiate the offense i mean there's just a lot of things you can do 
Um, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. The teams in our league, they're used to it, and and you know they know what's coming, so you know they're good at breaking it too. But it it, it does have an effect over time of, of of wearing teams down, and you know I like to think you have to prepare a little bit different, you know, when you're playing Ferris because not as many teams are doing this, so you have to kind of. You know, I told you the percentages of my practice plan, you know, so every coach probably has that, but maybe they have to take away and put in a press break scenario percentage. So it's taking away some of their bread and butter, perhaps. Well, absolutely. And uh, are, are you scouting their press entry, their press break and working versus it? Or do you want your players to be more just free and flowing with it? Um, free and flowing. Uh we usually know who's going to take the ball out of bounds. Um, and that can determine who we might put on the top of the press. Because when you fortify, if you can have that guy on the top, a lot of times he's going to meet up with the guy he should be guarding. You know, because we mismatch sometimes when we fortify, and we're okay with that. But there's there's opportunity to switch back, or there's opportunity to switch where you start um, based on their press break. And then just basically, are, are they going to, a lot of teams will throw it into the middle. So, we might want to cover up the middleman instead of playing in between, you know, and anticipating. Um, we might just want to cover that guy up and make him throw it to one guy or, or the other. So, but it's more free free flowing. You know, I I never got to the point even on the offensive end. We kind of just do do what we do, and we don't worry as much about what the other other team is going to do. And I, I think you can do that with some success, but you have to spend so much time on it. I'd rather have our guys think less and think less in the press, think less in the half court on offense, on defense, just kind of plug the other team into what we want to try to accomplish and not be bogged down by, you know, thoughts and slowed down by a lot of thinking. Well, it makes sense because that connects back to your simple identity as well, which is you want to keep things simple for them. So it makes sense. And you, you mentioned pressing on misses. Uh, is that something that you consistently do, or is that again certain opponents you'll press on misses? We don't press a lot on misses. Um, miss free throws are a little easier. Um, I, I've I've done a little studying of it. You know, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not there yet um, on misses. So it's been on on made shots um, to this point. But you know, we we've toyed with it in our mind, and it just. It's just another element that when you press, you have to live with a lot of different different things that you can't control, right? So that's even a messier version. If you're pressing during misses, then, you know, coaches like to have a certain amount of control, you know, and, that, and now it just feels like it's even more out of control. Now you're just jumping and trying to – we do like to fortify at the end of our press and play shell defense, you know, play man-to-man, you know, fundamental shell defense. I think if you press when you miss – you're giving up on some of that. You just you're really relying on early shots, in that in that tempo, and uh, we're not quite there yet. Well, and at least people think it's chaos. I mean, your team's very well coached. You can tell from watching. You can tell they're organized. You tell they have an understanding of what's happening. But to your point, sometimes for you as a coach, you have very little control in any of these situations, and that's often the case for most coaches. But you even have less control, don't you? Yeah. Yep. So you hand it over to them. You trust them. You try to teach them, and uh, yeah, you you basically just trust them and help them wh- where you can, and get, 
control what you can control, but I, I think it's better that way. That's why we do it, you know, because I think it's better that way. And, uh, you know, I never thought I was that smart anyway. So, you know, having me have all the control, you know, we have, we have good players and um, when they buy in and they understand things, they really make a lot of plays out there for you. And I, th- I think you could take away those possible plays that are, that could be made by controlling things. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I'm barking commands from the sideline a little bit too much. And I, I get reminded, Hey, you know, even though it might be right, what I'm saying, it's bogging them down. They're thinking too much. They, they gotta be able to, to play basketball. And if you want to do those things, t- teach them better um, in practice. So, and then one of the things that I've seen you talk about and uh, saw in your notes is this idea of incorporating the press in what you do, that the press becomes a part of everything that you do, and especially in terms of some of these reaction drills. Can you talk about that? It would be like if we were running our five-on-all sets, right? So we, we would call um, a set, and then after we scored on the set, we would, we would call a press that we react into. So when you're practicing your five-on-all sets, you know, it's not it's not done until you sort of bucket and then get into the press that you're going to be in. Um, you know, our, our our fast break drills because you know we're we're trying to run. That's one of our principles. And but we when we're running fast break drills, we've we've always got a press call. So we we run we call five on four and a half. It's it's pretty typical drill. Everybody runs. You know, put them across the free throw line, across the baseline, call, call off somebody's name they touch the baseline it's and it's a advantage break right it's five on four until the guy gets back so the team that has the ball on offense you know if they score they'll they'll be in a press on the way back we always go down and back and then reset it well you know i let them call their own press they huddle together um same with rebounding drills you know we do a lot of uh down and back um rebounding drills they're always calling a press. It's not just about the rebounding. They're they're in something. They're in a press. We we run a ten minute drill in practice, and it's just a ten minute scrimmage, and you know we're always in the press. Um, it's just it's constantly part of of what we do and and how we're going to do it. So it's just so it's just always on our mind, and you know we make we make sure that it's a part of each drill, and it's not just oh it's time to press, you know. In practice, you know, 15 minutes with the pressing drills. No, they're, they're weaved into everything else we do. And you mentioned the fast break, and uh, you've already mentioned some terminology in the press in terms of heated up and fortify, which I love. You also have some really good terminology with your, your fast break. And uh, I want you to just share some of the ideas around this. Up the street, across the street. Yeah, I guess those are just cute ways to say pass the ball up the floor, you know, whether it's across the floor or up the floor. You know, the bat the basketball is faster than any player. So we try to throw it up the floor. And uh that helps out in a lot of ways. If teams want to take that away, then then you have some coast to coast options or your secondary uh, offense can set lower um in scoring areas, or, or your rebounding's better because they're sprinting back and, and trying to take those advances away. So you know your your defensive rebounding is a lot better. But we try to get it up the floor, uh up the street. It's the same side and across the streets the other side. And if we can't, you know, we'll, we'll go into our secondary break. And, uh, you know, like I said, fifth year to third year, you know, if we can't score a five quick strike, five second score, or, you know, somewhere around there, then we'll slow it right now and 
run our secondary break into our motion offense and try to pass up good shots for great ones. Well, and the, 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 the phrasing coast to coast goes hand in hand with these two things, because of course, if you can't pass up the street or go pass across the street, you can go coast to coast generally, because that means those passes are denied and there's more gravity to be able to attack off the dribble. So talk a little bit about coast to coast. Well, you know, we're running to the corners, you know, so we're trying to, trying to get big gaps and, uh, you know, I don't know when I, you know, still play a little bit of basketball, you know, old man basketball. But when when somebody's charging at you at full speed and you're on your heels, you know, that's kind of a full, that's a bad feeling. So if everybody up the street and across the street is covered up, you know, it's it's one on one with a full head of steam, and you gotta put your chest on that guy. That's that's hard to do. I know it's hard for our guys to do. And uh, like I said, if they do sprint back and get in the gaps and form a wall, you know, usually it's you know, fifteen. 16 feet away from the basket. And I, I feel like we can really set our, our offense into a scoring area, you know, so that initial action we, we can score on because it's, it's, it's deep. And maybe we come off a, a trail ball screen and, and we're one dribble and we're in that half moon and we can, we can make that shot. It's a pretty good shot um, close to the basket. So uh, we, we want to put pressure on the paint, paintball, play paintball, um, get touches in there, two feet in there, jump stop, play off two feet. Um, and we can do that coast to coast too. It's not always for a score. You know, it's it's to draw two so you can make the pass to the open man. It's great stuff. And uh, I love the terminology. And then uh, so many coaches will be happy to hear that you rim run and you still emphasize the post, which you already mentioned, but especially in transition. Can you talk about the different things that you emphasize off the rim run and being able to make that player an option for your team? Yeah, so we went back and forth over the years. Um, you know, if you want a traditional rim run, um, it, even if you don't get it a lot, it everybody vacuums to that rim runner, you know, so there's a vacuum effect. But rim run is, over the years for us, has become um, like a, a read. You know, if, if, if the rim is open, you, you run to it. Uh, otherwise, we've been in a lot of five-out spacing in, in our fast break. And the initial action will take the the one in into the post uh, off the five ball spacing and and it we we switch it up over the years you know you can't just do the exact same thing every year you know based on your personnel and you, you get stagnant and crusty too so but we don't want to give up that that rim runner and a lot of times there's a distinction too because um, it could be somebody else running the rim not like on a steal or a long rebound. You know, that, that fast break is always different than your structured break. You know, that's more of what we call a jailbreak. You know, you're just going. You're just busting out and running into the openings. So we, we have that aspect of it, too, where, you know, kind of the rules are off. And we've, we've got a steal or we've got a long rebound, and it's just, not, it's just time to, you know, attack the rim. So it could be a wing or, or a or four-man run in the rim, too. Well, and there has to be a healthy balance of, obviously, passes to that rim runner in a sense, or at least looks into that rim runner so that they know that their running is valued. Can you talk about some of these things in terms of running to corners and running to the rim and how you uh, encourage your players to do it and reinforce it through valuing them? Well, we're going to pass it to them, you know, so that's the ultimate value. You know, we always compare it to football wide receivers, you know, and you talk about everybody running the route to, to full speed, even though they know they're the, the check down or they know that they're the third option. It, it, it doesn't matter. You have to run 
that hard. And, and honestly, we, we'd be wasting our time playing 10 guys if we didn't run fast and run hard, you know? So there's, there's always the idea of just, Hey, we could just play seven guys and walk it up. You know, if you want to walk, you know, and nobody wants to do that, especially, you know, eight, nine and 10, you know, so we're running and, you know, running fast creates bigger gaps. So you start to jog, you never get all the way to the corners and you don't open up those lanes, those driving lanes. And I think the, the biggest thing is that they could get the ball because they actually do get the ball. And that's motivating. <laughs> that's motivating when, when you actually touch it. Like I said, the ball, the ball has magic powers. And, uh, you know, when, when you touch it, you illuminate, you know, you, you feel better. And then if you actually see it go through the hoop, you know, then, wow, then your defense gets better, your energy gets better, you're going to dive on the floor the next time. So we're trying to, trying to make people run, but we're re- rewarding them. It's not a meaningless pattern. You know, they're going to get the ball. I think we can tell, obviously, the simple identity it all starts with, and then everything flows off of that, and uh, you give your players great freedom. Uh, what, what have been some of the challenges in trying to repeat the success of winning that national championship? And clearly, you've had great success since, but maybe give us an idea, because I think too often we think about uh, you know, the rebuild and building it up to the championship level, and not enough about how to sustain that success once you get there. Yeah, it's 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 hard to sustain the success. Um, you know, Zach was a player of the year for us, and, and he, he transferred to Xavier um, after that year for his grad, grad transfer year. And, and obviously, losing a player of the year, you know, was was hard um, when you talk about repeating. And then there's always injuries, and there's been COVID. So the answer, the answer is we're trying to be the best we can be with each team. And, and sometimes that's not national chance. And, and sometimes we get really good so that if we played the national champs in a, you know, we played them 10 times, you know, who knows? We beat them three or four, you know, and we could beat the national champs. But w- w- when you actually win it, so like the year we won it, our margin for error was, was so high that we, we won some games where we didn't even play as well as we could have, you know? So, Creating that margin for error is something that we try to do intentionally. We try to do it on the whiteboard. We we figure it out like, hey, how can we get as powerful as we can? Yet, how can we have all these ten guys have some sort of path to happiness? Because as soon as the guy is not happy or doesn't play, it's always about playing time. You know, he's out. He's out of here, or or, or he gets disgruntled and then misery seeks company. So it's like a, a, a balancing act of, of trying to get back there. But I, I think what will happen. Maybe we'll never get back. Maybe we'll never win it again. That'll be all right uh, because it's not like the main goal. The main goal is to become as good as we can. And one of these teams probably will be good enough and we'll do it. Um, so we're just trying to reach full potential. And that's a much easier way to digest, you know, the, the monumental challenge of, of doing it again. Coach, I'm grateful for this. I got a chance to get to know you even more. And uh, I, I can tell, man, uh, you, you love coaching. And, uh, you know, it does come back to that, doesn't it? I mean, we coach basketball for a living. That's pretty good. Yeah, it, it is good. And, uh, you know, I, I remember where I came from and the opportunities that have been given to me. I'm very thankful for them. Um, it's, it's my why. It's my passion. It's my mission. And uh, regardless of where you're at, you know, you make the big time where you're at. And, you know, your mission is your mission. So, um, you know, I started out wanting to, wanting to be the varsity coach at a Class D charter school. And I was really excited about it. And I ended up here and I'm happy to be here. I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And as long as I have that feeling, I'm, you know, I'm fired up.
Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.